Thank you, worship team. Thank you, guys. Um, hi, guys. Good evening. Happy Tuesday. It's great to see you guys again. I missed, I missed you guys last week, so I've been itching to get back and see you again. Having a week off is never a good time. Uh, love being here with you guys. So uh, let me just introduce myself. If you haven't met me yet or you may be new to our community, I just want to say my name is Jared, and I hope to meet you tonight before the... Uh, evening is over. Uh, my wife, Abigail, is here somewhere. There she is. Hi. Um, I was thinking, literally, as I was kind of practicing today and preparing for this, how <clears throat> Abby and I have been coming to Salt now since before we even met, before we even started dating, dot, 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 here and there. Now, all of a sudden, I look back, and we're married five and a half years, and three months away from our first baby, and uh, I know, I'm saying it out loud, and uh, wow, if that doesn't make me feel old, I don't think nothing can, Uh, but all that said, like, I'm so honored that we still get to be a part of this community, and that we get to serve this community in the way that we do, and I know Abby and I are both constantly blessed by our relationships with you all, and the Lord has blessed us through salt, like, greatly. Um, it's where we met, right? So um, I hope you guys just know that for yourselves. Like, what we have here is, it's special. Uh, this community is special. It's so genuine. And salt is really here for you guys, here for all of you, right? It's for people in this time of life, young adults, where... I call it the revolving door phase of life. There are things going in and out faster than ever before, and it's really hard to keep up with. There's constant change. There's life-altering decisions being made, like, all the time, because you're figuring out who you are now that you're an adult, now that you're figuring it out for yourself, out of the home for many of us. You're independent. And most importantly, during this time, you're figuring out, like, what do I really believe about the world? What do I really believe about God? And like, who am I going to be, right? And that's why during this time of life, that's why salt is here, to have a community that points you to the God who is, who um, fosters an environment where we can grow and be known and do life with each other, even when everything around us feels kind of chaotic, right? Um, We have four pillars here at SALT, which I feel like it's been too long since I've mentioned them. Uh, Four pillars, four things we want to strive for. We want everyone in our community to strive for and to live out in their lives. And those four pillars are worship, service, community, and discipleship. Right? That's what SALT is about. That's why we gather and what we try to do whenever we gather and wherever we gather. So I want you guys to know that so you know what SALT's about and what this community is here to point you towards for as long or as short as you might be here. And so since, what, January? Since like day one in January, we have been studying the letter of Galatians and we're getting near the end, um, but I want to give you guys just a little bit of a recap to bring us up to speed. Remember the big picture of what's been going on in Galatians. Because uh, it's been two weeks now. That's a long time. That's a long time these days. But basically, the letter of Galatians is 
one of the Apostle Paul's earliest, if not the earliest letter, his first letter written. And it's written to a group of people, a group of Christians, a group of churches even, in a particular region where he helped plant these churches. And these are people who didn't grow up in the Jewish society, Jewish culture. They weren't like God's people who grew up uh, under the law and knowing the law of God and the Torah and anything to do with scripture. But they'd had churches planted, they'd heard the gospel, and they'd believed the gospel, but are now at this point where there are false teachings being brought into the church and into their community, telling them that they, in order to really be saved, they need a little extra. Yeah, that's cool, they believe in Jesus and all, but they need a little extra. And they're being called back to the law, that they have to put on the law, that they have to be circumcised, that they have to follow all the Jewish customs in order to really be saved. So much of the letter up to this point has been Paul combating these lies, right? Teaching, reminding the Galatians, calling them out where they've erred, and giving them good theology and stern warnings, and just boldly proclaiming the truth that Christ is enough, and they don't need, and they are damned if they try adding extra to Christ. Paul's been very passionate about grace, and he doesn't want to see his brothers and sisters struggling to earn God's favor when they never can, tricking themselves into pride and thinking they're better than those who struggle or inevitably failing, realizing they don't measure up, and then falling into despair, thinking they never can be saved. And so two weeks ago when we last um, studied Galatians, the letter is kind of shifting now from this theological defense of faith Uh, to becoming very, very practical. And our pastor John walked us through the fruit of the Spirit, walked us through and compared and contrasted the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit uh, in the life of uh, a believer. And he taught us what it looks like to be filled and to be led by the Spirit, uh, what it produces in our lives and around us. And I would encourage you, if you're interested, you guys can listen to that teaching in any of the past ones we've done here in Galatians. Uh, I see some new faces. I see some people here tonight who haven't been here in a while. Uh, When Christian comes up to share announcements, he'll show you the slide where you can get to like Spotify or wherever we have the links uh, to our teachings. So highly encourage you guys to check it out. Um, So tonight we're going to dive in and study and continue to study Paul's very practical advice to the Galatians. Um, And particularly what we're looking at tonight is how to live in God's family. And so I just want to start by reading the whole passage in its entirety in Galatians chapter 6. Grab a Bible or turn in your Bible to Galatians 6 with me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Even though much of Paul's letter to this point has been very bold, very confrontational, very willing to call the Galatians out and call them to live in accordance with the gospel that they've heard, uh, there's still this recurring theme of family. Paul is addressing his family, his brothers, his sisters, and he starts off the passage by addressing them as brothers and sisters. And throughout the first five chapters, he's reminded them over and over that now they are a part of God's family by faith, and they are now heirs of the inheritance that Jesus is worthy of, right? The inheritance of God's Son is now uh, available to them in faith. And so what we see here is Paul really, in a big, just big picture view, Paul giving them this practical advice on, now that you're in the family, how are we to live? It's a little different than how we lived before. Uh, he's really clearing this fog of confusion as well that's been left by the false teachers trying to enslave these people to the law, right? Telling them, hey, 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 you actually have to do this as well and put this on top. And really, Paul's walking this fine line of reminding them like, no, nothing you can do, no adherence to the law or righteous act can you do that will uh, earn your salvation. But it doesn't mean don't do anything good, right? He's walking this fine line of not pushing them to one extreme or the other. Uh, and so as we see it, Paul has established the foundation of faith alone. Uh, he's now showing the Galatians that as people filled with the Spirit, they will keep in step with the Spirit, Right? They will be obedient. And that was where we ended in chapter 5. His encouragement for them to be keeping in step with the Spirit. And so now in our passage that we just read, he's transitioning to showing them what this looks like. Particularly, I believe, highlighting three really important themes for all believers that, are, that we are called to live out in our lives and how we view ourselves and how we view those around us how we view our family and the church, and how we treat each other. So I want to look for these as we, we I want you to look for these three themes as we dive back in. Um, the first is humility. The second is compassion. And the third is faithfulness. These are three things which, on the surface, they sound very agreeable, right? They sound great. Anyone could hear that and go, yeah, those are good things. I'll nod my head to that. Um, but I would argue that really, the works of the flesh are in direct opposition to these three. And even our own culture and society are in opposition to what Paul's teaching here. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. For now, I want to dive a little deeper into the text. Again, in verse 1 through 5, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So 
prior to these verses, Paul has very recently in the letter said in chapter 5, verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Jesus' own teaching and now is calling the Galatians to embrace this high calling of humility and compassion in their own lives. It's not just a general statement of what they should do or something that sounded good to say, but it's in direct contrast to the practical application of the lies that were being spread in the church. What I mean by that is this works-based righteousness that they were fighting, that they were uh, succumbing to and that Paul is calling out, is a religion that preaches that a person has the ability to obtain something from God or to please God by their works and by their own actions, and that this often leads to pride. A prideful arrogance which looks down on those who are weak, who are stumbling, or who aren't performing as well, who don't have it all figured out, right? Which believes it's above temptation in every circumstance and unable to do wrong, right? It causes a competitive nature, which actually breaks relationship and isolates people making them afraid to admit their weakness and having to face the burdens and challenges of life on their own. And as we look and think about that list, I hope you're on the same page as me with thinking, huh, that's not what Jesus is like. Uh, That's not how Jesus lived. And that's certainly not how Jesus calls his followers to live. And Paul, recognizing that, is addressing the Galatians' uh, issues head on and calling them to the exact opposite, but now giving them the positives, giving them the not the do-nots, the put-offs, but giving them the put-ons. This is how you are to live. Calling them to seek reconciliation and restoration with those who have sinned, with those who are weak, or with those who are lost within their community. To remember that they're no better than their neighbor, that they too need to guard themselves from temptation, And challenging them to sincerely help one another bear the challenges and the difficulties of life, right? That's what Paul means when he says, bear each other's burdens. He he goes on and says that they need to avoid thinking selfishly and comparing themselves to others, which inflates their egos, but rather to regularly perform self-examination and recognize their own personal responsibility before God. That's what he means when he says that each one must bear their own load. They can't just compare themselves to someone else, tell themselves they're better, and then go, good enough for me, good enough for God. Guys, do not recommend that. <laughs> um, and you guys, this, this is what compassion looks like, right? This is what humility looks like. And what I want us to tie together here is that this is how God's family works, And beyond just seeing how it works or talking about how it works, Paul's instructing us all, all believers, all children of God, on how to live out these qualities within our own lives. So let's continue. Verse 6, he says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. But the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Here we see Paul, right, turn his attention more specifically to the relationship between a church community, between this community of believers and its leaders and the teachers and the pastors. These verses serve both, I think, as an encouraging reminder to honor and respect and serve each other, but especially those who devoted their lives to serving God's people in leadership. And it also serves as a warning against the consequences of sowing bad seeds, not just within somebody's own life, but within the community as a whole, within the church. As we talk about sowing and reaping, like, these are simply put, like, agricultural terms, right? I'm no gardener, so Abby, you tell me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> uh, sowing is just the idea of planting seeds, right? You can imagine someone walking along the garden, throwing seeds into the dirt mounds, and then stuff grows, right? Uh, so we have the idea of sowing seeds, and then we have the idea of reaping, and reaping really, simply put, is harvesting the fruit that those seeds grow into and produce, right? Harvesting and reaping, collecting what it produces. And this is an image that's used quite often in Scripture to symbolically represent the consequences of our actions, both positive and negative, right? Both good and bad. Uh, We can sum it up by saying that a life submitted to God and His Spirit leads to good fruit, or eternal life in this example. But a life that rejects God and tries to take control of its own destiny leads to bad fruit or corruption. And so Paul's taking this general truth that is is true for all of us. It's how God designed the world. It has a lot to do with just how morality works as God defined it, right? It's a sowing and reaping world. But he's applying it to this specific circumstance that's not just true of their lives, but of their whole communities. If the Galatians let these false teachings puff up their pride, puff out their chests, and look at each other arrogantly, if they stand opposed to those who do stand on the truth of the gospel, those in their church who were trying to teach them the truth and defend God's word and defend the truth from these false teachings, if they're going to take advantage of each other in this way, like, then they're going to reap what they've sown. It's a warning from Paul that they... Their church will become morally weak. It will become spiritually bankrupt. There will be no maturity. There will be no abundant life within their community if they continue down this path because God's not going to be tricked. He's not going to be fooled. They're not going to try to add to what he has provided as a means of salvation. They're not going to add to faith with works and sow selfishness and sow pride and sow comparison and then reap good, healthy, spiritual living and community. They can't have it both ways. So in trying to earn God's favor by this adherence and shackling to the law and its requirements, they would not only be denying the Messiah that God provided them, but they would be reaping the very corruption and consequences that they're trying to avoid. And so I just think Paul's laying this out so clearly for them. He's done all this theological build up to this and now he's getting so practical and I think it's so helpful for them and so helpful for us 
that they would understand both the freedom that Christ offers them and how they ought to live in light of that freedom. That they can't obey enough to earn their freedom, but that the free gift God has given them of freedom enables them to lovingly obey and serve him in the way they were made to. It's an important distinction. And how they ought to live is repenting from this worldview that faith in Jesus wasn't enough. From competing from each other and giving room for pride to fester and grow. And for trying to take righteousness in their own hands. How they ought to live is persevering in doing life with one another. With remaining faithful even when they may get weary, striving to view and treat their neighbors with compassion, gentle compassion, and doing it all with Christ-like humility. Christ-like humility. So this is what Paul's laid out for them. And as I thought a lot about this passage and what it means to us, and how do we talk about, I feel like there's 10, 20, 30 different directions you could go and ways that you could apply the truth that we're looking at to our lives. But it forced me, because there's such an abundance of things to dwell on, it forced me to just stop and think think about you. Think about you guys. Like, I know I'm not everyone's best friend here. I don't know all of you like the back of my hand. I don't all, know all of you like I know Nathan back there, my homie. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I've been blessed over the years to get to know a lot of you, and I've been blessed to, well, I've been blessed because many of you know me, and I know your faces, I know your names, I know your personalities, right? I know your weirdness. <laughs> I know, for many of you, I know your circumstances, the decisions that lie before you, the life changes that have happened outside of your control or the questions you have that are still unanswered or the struggles, the tragedies, the heartaches that you've experienced and the suffering that you've gone through. I know that what I have seen is just just a glimpse. I don't claim to have special knowledge of any of these things, but as I think about you guys and what do we do with this, I want you to know how much I truly want you guys to intimately know God. To experience abundant life with him. To become people who find their identity in Christ and who reflect that in their lives with humility and faithfulness and compassion. I want you guys to become people who harvest the good fruit of the Spirit while living in a world that worships the desires of the flesh. And I know, as as I've thought about it, I know I don't, I don't have all the answers for you. I can't tell you exactly where you're going to end up or exactly how you're going to get there. And I hope that that intimacy with God and that abundant life is what you also want for yourself. As I think of all those things about our community, where you guys are at, there's, there's a few things I want to encourage you with. And the first is that I want you to ask yourselves the question, what do I want to reap? Is it eternal life or corruption, right, as Paul laid it out? What is the fruit that you want to harvest in your life? 
It's a hard question to ask. It's a question that many aren't willing to ask. But I want to ask you guys, like, are you willing to consider the big picture and ask yourself, what are your actions today? Where are they leading you in a week, in a month, in a year, in 10 years? How are the habits and the hobbies and the investments that you've made with your time and your money and everything, what you're pouring yourself into, where is that taking you? And if you are willing to ask that question and you see that the answer is taking you away from your relationship with God or leading you into sin, are you guys willing to make the necessary changes? For Abigail and I, we recently went through some biblical counseling less than a year ago. And one of the exercises we did constantly was called the 30-year harvest. (laughs) We had a big old whiteboard and we'd We'd draw a 30-year harvest, and we just had this big list, and it was about us being on the same page about where do we want to be in 30 years. And she's a dreamer. She loved that. That is so hard for me. To think, like, what I want to do next week is, like, you're stressing me out. Leave me alone. I need to sleep. But it was so, so helpful to think, this is actually pretty simple. (laughs) I don't need all this other stuff that maybe I think I have to have figured out in 10 years or 30 years. But uh, it helps you realize what really matters. helps you prioritize. And it helps connect the dots from like, what am I doing today that's going to bring me here? I have my eyes on here. And 30 years is scary. Trust me, trust me, I know. But, but I'm not even asking about 30 years, you guys. I'm asking you to think about eternity. To think about What is the harvest that you are preparing yourself for? What seeds are you sowing in your life, right? And what are those seeds going to grow into? I hope that you would consider the eternal impact that those have as you build your life, as you make these decisions, as you branch out from your hometown or your family into wherever the Lord takes you. Start now. Don't wait until it's too late and you find yourself somewhere you never intended to be. Because, (laughs) make no mistake, you guys, I feel like I say this every time I'm up here, the world is in such opposition to the work of God's Spirit. The enemy is actively fighting against it, and you need to be careful about the habits that you form and the philosophies you adopt. Like, it can be so easy to get swept up and new movements, and new ideas, and it's so fun and exciting, but I can't encourage you enough to think critically and carefully and biblically about even just the smallest things in your lives as you go out into the world. An example of that, right? I mentioned earlier, humility, faithfulness, compassion. It might sound great to anyone. We might all nod our heads and go, yeah, for sure. And yet I think if we step back, zoom out just a little bit and look at our culture and look at our society that we live in here and now and look at media and the political landscape and the economics and just everything of how the world turns. And what we see is that these terms are being rejected or redefined in a way that contradicts God's character. Right? If, I look, if I zoom out and look in, I see that our culture celebrates pride, not humility. 
in every way, shape, and form. That faithfulness to God isn't nearly as important as being true to yourself, right? Looking out for number one. And that really, compassion only extends as far as your agreement with whoever you're talking to does. As soon as there's disagreement with your opinions or your worldview, compassion is one of the first things to go out the window. And not only are these very things contrary to what God is calling us to, but they are loud, loud voices. And so I don't want you to be surprised. They want your listening ear. And you will encounter them. So I want you guys to just be ready. I want you to know that ultimately this is God's world and it operates according to God's rules. That he is the one who defines what is good and beautiful and just. That he knows what's best for you and looks out for your best interests, even if you can't see it today or next week. God has eternity in mind. And I want you to know from Paul's teaching tonight who God has called you to be and how he's called you to live and to be willing to stand up and stand on that truth with humility and compassion, especially when it goes against the spirit of the age. And one more thing I want to give you guys to consider that as we think about applying this to our lives, being a Christ follower means being deeply involved in his church. This is so important. The church is God's family. And all who are saved by grace through faith are sons and daughters of God now. And if we remove that context, Paul's instructions really make no sense at all. If we're not talking about believers living in close, intimate community with one another, doing life together, building deep relationships with one another that allow for correction and gentleness and bearing one another's burdens, right? And I'm being, I want to be specific. Like I mean that if you are a believer, but you are not involved in a meaningful way with a local church community, then you can't really live out what Paul's commanding God's people here. What he's commanding to the Galatians and giving, this is how you ought to live your lives. If you're not in a local church community, you can't do that. You're not able to share all the good things and restore your brothers and sisters in gentleness or bear their burdens. And so a very significant part of what it means to live as a Christian in this world is missing from your life. And I just want to say that so that if that is you, I think you feel that gap. I want you guys to fix it. I want you to go and find a church community. And I want to be especially clear that salt is not that multivitamin church pill that you can swallow that covers all your bases, right? The church is a big body and salt, we're just one small ministry, one small part of one church. Um, It's a great part of the church, right? If the church is a body, salt's like, I think, one of the thumbs. It's pretty awesome, pretty useful. But Salt's not going to be around your whole life. You're not going to be here your whole life. But you're called to be a part of God's church for as long as you live. And so you need to start thinking about that now. And like, if salt is all that there is for you, I would encourage you, like, there's more. And God is calling you to be involved more than just here. Now, don't leave here and go somewhere else. Okay, I still want you guys here. (laughs) But I hope you hear what I'm saying. Um, Where are we at here? Speaking of 
being involved in the church and the pastors. The last thing I kind of want to leave with you guys is if you are involved in your if you are involved in a local church, you need to give your pastors some love. Okay? I want you guys to think about John. He's our pastor who's invested in salt, and many of you have benefited from his involvement. Um, he's sacrificed a lot. He's dedicated a lot of time and energy and prayer and guidance and leadership and conflict resolution and, 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 and I could go on. And he's not just doing that for salt. He's doing that for children's ministry, for babies, for middle schoolers, for high schoolers. Good God, it could go on. It's so much, and to boot, he's got a wife and four kids that he's raising. Like, it blows my mind how hard that must be to juggle. I don't think any of us in this room could step into that and not just melt away in a day. The work that our pastors and our leaders and our teachers and our mentors and the people who run the ministries of the church are doing. Like, my dad is a pastor. I know, unfortunately, way too much about how thankless of a job it can be. I remember only two years ago being with my family on Christmas morning, and as we're starting to do our thing and eat cinnamon rolls at 7.30 in the morning, he's getting an email from somebody who apparently stayed up all night thinking about this, complaining and criticizing the whole church and everything they did on Christmas Eve because he didn't like the lights, he didn't like the songs, he didn't like the clothes they wore. And that was it. And it was like, you stayed up all night and wrote that email. That is the saddest Christmas I've ever heard of. But unfortunately, stories like that happen all the time. Like for these pastors, it's so thankless and it's such a heavy burden to bear, and so any way you guys can, support, encourage, love on those who have given their entire vocation, their entire lives to serving God's church and proclaiming the truth to God's people. Give John a hug. Buy him a coffee. Thank you, John. We love you. Um, so, to sum it all up, you guys. Jesus said in John 13 to his disciples, he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's really the bottom line. And I want and hope that salt is already a place where you can know one another and where you feel like you can be known and make deep connections and where our witness to the world and our faith and our relationship with God is strengthened by how we love another, by how we challenge one another, by how we support one another.